Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for those prayers. Good morning, church. Good. All right. <laughs> he is risen. <clears throat> Indeed, it's been great to worship today. We started out on the ferry pier. We got rained on a little bit, but it was good to celebrate together. This journey started some 40-plus days ago when we began Lent on Ash Wednesday. This past week, we looked at Palm Sunday. Last Sunday, Pastor Brenda talked about that Jesus came in on a donkey, not a war horse. He came in peace, not with violence. Monday, Thursday, we looked at Jesus washing the disciples' feet, his self-sacrificing love. Friday, his sacrifice for us on the cross. And this morning, we celebrate his resurrection. We'll jump into John 20. And we'll find Mary Magdalene going to the tomb with oils and spices, furthering to prepare the body for its burial. Let's jump in, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And she's a bit panicked in this moment, and she runs back and finds Peter and John and tells them what she has found And they raced to the tomb. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. See, Peter went in first and then John. John believes. We go back to Mary, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She sees an angel and she also sees what she believes to be a gardener. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she rushes back to tell the other disciples that she has actually seen Jesus. The resurrection has actually happened. The darkness of Good Friday has been lifted. They were surprised at this. They weren't going to the tomb to confirm the resurrection. They were going to further prepare the body for its burial. That's why they're surprised when they don't find the body. They were there to grieve and mourn the loss of their friend, the loss of Jesus. They thought the powers and the principalities had won the day on Good Friday. They come to find out that it was actually Christ who had won victory over the powers, over death, over evil. They might have remembered when Jesus talked about resurrection. Back in John 11... We hear Jesus get the news that his friend Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. And he gets the news that he's sick. He's only a couple of miles away in Jerusalem, but he doesn't leave. He doesn't go to attend to Lazarus. He eventually gets the message that Lazarus has, in fact, passed away. And Mary and Martha are perplexed. We'll jump into verse 21. Master, said Martha to Jesus, if only you had been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. See, Martha believed if Jesus had been there, this would have been the difference. He could have saved 
Lazarus. Why didn't he come? If only, and maybe you've had if only moments in your life, if only things had turned out the way I had hoped. Now Martha reached Jesus first. Now Mary comes upon the scene and says this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews that had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then comes the shortest verse in the Bible. I learned this verse probably at age six. We were given rewards for the number of verses we could memorize. So the first one I looked for was the shortest verse in the Bible. That was the kind of student I was. We hear Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He was moved by their sorrow, by their grief. He was probably moved himself for all that was happening, and he weeps. I saw this clip we're going to show in just a minute a few days ago um, in my Facebook feed, and let me set the scene. It's a mom talking with her four-year-old boy. It's bedtime. She's getting ready to tuck him in, and he's processing um, his day. He'd had some rough things happen in that day, and let's listen in on their conversation. My feelings by not going outside, so that's why I didn't want to make this a small choice. You know, Aaliyah, mm-hmm. I couldn't go outside, so I was still a little sad. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that was a consequence. But after I was a little sad, I was a little bit upset. More than a little. More than a little upset? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all get upset sometimes. Yeah. We don't get what we want all the time. Uh-huh. Mama also don't. Papa also don't. But it's hard for babies to do, to do that. You know earlier, mm. baby dropped the, the, the plate and Papa got angry at her. And I, I told Papa to make this. I told Papa to stop being slow. And make a small choice mm-hmm. for Papa. And then did he do it? Yeah. But but earlier I I chose to be a tiny bit mad but but after a while I was okay. You were okay? Mm-hmm. Life is like that. We get upset, we get mad, we cry. That's emotions, Mama. That's emotions, I know. And then we feel better after we cry. Yep. She do even when you're upset or angry. Mm-hmm. Always different kinds of feelings. Even though when you're scared. Mm-hmm. That's another emotion. <laughs> yeah, a different kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. No, I was wrong. Today, I, I had a all time do my emotions. Yeah? Yeah, it is today. That's okay. When we're, means, we're learning. Even though when I was that mad, you still love me that so much? Of course. Always. <laughs> Very touching, right? <clears throat> Amazing to see that four-year-old be able to articulate words like emotions and his sadness and his anger and to see the loving comfort of his mom 
just to embrace him, that she loves her son even when he's mad and upset and sad. And we see the same in Jesus, Jesus the good shepherd. He is with us in our emotions. He's with us when life goes sideways. He's with us when things aren't working out the way we had planned. He doesn't promise us a life without pain or suffering or emotions, but he does promise to be with us in it. At the sunrise service at 6.09 was the sunrise time for Hong Kong, and we looked out, and it was still cloudy. In fact, the sun had risen, but we just couldn't see it, right? And that is like life sometimes. We might not see God's presence with us. It doesn't mean he is not there. We see Jesus himself on the cross quoting Psalm 22, wondering where God is. God had not left, but it was hard for him to see God in that moment. Let's go back to our story with Jesus and Mary and Martha. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, Martha believes in the resurrection, but her sort of, um, she's unenthused, you can tell in her response. Yeah, yeah, that will happen someday, but, but what about now? What happens now, Jesus? Right now is when I am hurting. She's not prepared for what Jesus says next. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus meets her in her moment, meets her in the pain, and he's not unsympathetic, but he's pushing her deeper to understand who Jesus really is and what he can do for her, not someday at the resurrection, what he can do for her right now in the midst of her pain. Martha didn't have to wait for the second coming to experience life. She could experience it right then and there. And so can you. So can I. This is life we can experience right now. I don't know exactly how Jesus has met you or how he will meet you, but I know that he will. See, our faith isn't for something somewhere down the road. Our faith is for now, life right now. This quote we've been looking at through this series from N.T. Wright, he had been taught that the death of Jesus was all about God saving me from my sin so that I could go to heaven. But actually, what he realized was Jesus died in order to make us restored human beings with a vocation to play and a vital part in God's purposes for the world. It's life right now, not life someday. This is what Jesus has come to do. This is what he invites us into, that bringing together God's kingdom on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, in Hong Kong as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. So Jesus continues on with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. You know, if Martha is anything, she's practical, right? (laughs) Whether it's the chores that need to be done or the fact that this is going to be really bad smelling, Jesus, are you sure we should open the stone? Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I am continually struck by the fact that Jesus calls on Lazarus to come out. He doesn't go into the tomb and drag Lazarus out. Jesus is bringing him new life, but Lazarus has a part to play He has to actually come out of the tomb on his own. And he also needs community to help unwrap him. It's not an isolated thing. There's a poem that I saw this week by Jan Richardson, and I've asked Carol to come up and read that for us. The Lazarus Blessing. The secret of this blessing is that it is written on the back of what binds you. To read this blessing, you must take hold of the end of what confines you, must begin to tug at the edge of what wraps you round. It may take long and long for its length to fall away, for the words of this blessing to unwind in folds about your feet. By then, you will no longer need them. By then, This blessing will have pressed itself into your waking flesh, will have passed into your bones, will have traveled every vein, until it comes to rest inside the chambers of your heart that beats to the rhythm of benediction and the cadence of release. (laughs) All right, thank you, Carol for reading that Lazarus blessing. I'd never thought about it in that way, the part Lazarus played. I'm sure he had stories to tell about those last five days or so. And also the community, I could imagine the celebration that they had that night. We need community. We need those around us to help unwrap us when we come out of the tomb to help us with that process. We've titled this series, A Cruciform Life, How the Cross Changes Everything. The cross stands at the center of our faith, what Jesus has done on the cross. That posture of self-giving love is how he invites us to be in the world itself. I want to take us all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They weren't supposed to eat from that. Perhaps one day that would have been a tree they could have eaten from, but not at that point. Now, there was another tree in the garden, though. There was the tree of life. And unfortunately for them, eating from the wrong tree closed down access to the tree of life. 
They were no longer going to live forever. Now death was going to be a part of their future because they could no longer take from this tree. God begins his rescue plan. He calls a people to himself. But we see how this people thinks about people dying on a tree. It's death. It's a curse. We read that in Deuteronomy. That's why when Jesus starts talking about carrying his cross, about dying for them, they're not too excited about this because they know the Old Testament. And if you're killed on a tree, then you are cursed. They don't want that for Jesus. And when he invites them to pick up their own cross, they certainly don't want that for them. And on Good Friday, it looked like a curse had won the day. They didn't understand, actually, what Jesus was doing. He was reversing that. Instead of a curse, the cross becomes the tree of life for us now to experience, not some day. That tree of life where God took upon himself evil and turned it into forgiveness That tree of life where instead of responding in violence, God gives up his life and comes in peace. That tree that gives us access to the life that God provides is in fact now the tree of life. It shows us that God is love, that he is co-suffering, that he is self-sacrificial, that he is sin-absorbing, that he is never-ending love. That's why the cross sits at the center of our faith, of our journey. The cross is where Jesus absorbed all the sin of the world and recycled it into grace, mercy, and forgiveness. At the cross, Jesus teaches us what it means to love, to truly love the other. Jesus is the resurrection and life. He says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Life goes through Jesus and what he has done on the cross. We now have access to the tree of life again. What does that life look like? How does life in him look? I came across this quote from Richard Rohr. He says, those who don't transform their pain, transmit it. And I want to look at Judas and Peter a little bit. We've been talking about them this week. Judas, in fact, we know, betrayed Jesus. Scholars think he was trying to push Jesus into bringing the kingdom in the way Judas wanted the kingdom brought. Judas regrets his choice and eventually takes his life. Each of us has wounds, scars, traumas that need to be healed. Otherwise, we will take it out on somebody else. Family, partner, friends, colleagues. I've had to work through my own stuff in therapy, with mentors, with trusted friends. Because God wants to bring life now, friends. And that means bringing our healing. Come Wednesday night to hear more from Lance on brokenness to beauty. See, I kind of grew up with this first line here, sin, punishment, repentance, and transformation. 
But I think it's not actually that way. Richard Rohr in his book, Breathing Underwater, points to a different way. Sin, then unconditional love, leads to transformation and repentance. I was meeting with somebody this week who had incredible pain, who had incredible regret for choices they've made. They lost their job. They lost their spouse. Family was alienated from them, and they're in the process of losing their own health. And he had a Christian background. He knew God loved him in his head, but could he know it in his heart? And I sat and I prayed with him. And that's the journey that he wants to be able to take on is that God loves him. God forgives him, and then can he forgive himself? Because that, that is the climate, that is the environment for transformation. When we experience that incredible love, we begin to become transformed. We begin to walk our repentance. See, God isn't waiting for some perfected version of yourself before he loves you. He loves you right now. Not when you've gotten it all taken when you've gotten it all put together, not when you get past this one thing. He loves you right now, and he loves you in a way that allows yourself to be transformed. This Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. It's this idea of a path. But you've gotten off this path of life, and maybe you've gotten way off, and maybe it's because of bad choices, or maybe it's because of, of lesser things that become ultimate things, but you're experiencing the consequences of that path, and it is a heavy burden and Teshuva says, repentance says, when you come back to that path, and you can always come back to that path, that the burden is lifted, that there is a refreshment that comes from walking that path again. There's a welcoming, there's a lifting of your spirit. And I would welcome you back to that path. Whatever you might have in your life, big or small, things you've kept hidden, things you haven't kept hidden, choices you've regretted, Come back to that path and experience life. Not life someday, but life right here, right now. Because Jesus is the tree of life for us. We see Peter taking that second option. Jesus restores him. Reminds Peter of his love for him. And Peter is transformed. Peter repents. Peter comes back. And we can do the same. Whatever you might be holding on to, set it down. What cave, what tomb might you be in that you need to come out of? Jesus says, come out. Experience life. Where do you need community to help unwrap you from the things that bind you? Where do you desire God to bring life today? He invites us but he won't drag us out. He loves us, but he won't force himself upon us. He forgives us, but we forgive ourselves. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and I pray that we might set down whatever is not helping us in our life, whatever is taking us away from your path, taking us away from love. May we... Set it down and take up your blessing today. You desire to bless us. You desire to look down upon us and smile, and you are right now. And may we see that. May we enjoy it. May we partake of it. Amen.
and let's stand as we worship God.